Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast, the usually every two weeks podcast that talks about two games that my lovely co-host and I have been playing. Um, We took a week off of the movie pod uh, as our lives got particularly busy. Uh, We appreciate everyone's patience on that. Uh, But you didn't know about that at all if you don't follow the movie pod. So uh, it's just been an extra week off for y'all. We have not gone away. uh, And I do believe uh, that we have two games that will be worth that extra week of wait for those of you who only follow the Steam Cleaners podcast, which is, of course... Uh, co-hosted by my good friend, Walter C. Eddie Svetchuk. Walter, how you doing? Yeah, I do want to apologize. The hangover from the uh, quarterfinals weekend for the LOL World Championships, it, it really hit hard, man. You got two crazy best of fives that went five games. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that both times that we hit the 2-0 and, and I texted my... Uh, my partner and my friend's partner who both went with us to New York. I was like, oh yeah, one team's up to nothing. We'll probably be done here in like an hour at most. And then we can meet you someplace. And then surprise, they went to five games apiece. (laughs) (laughs) And and granted, like two of the greatest series of all time, probably. So, you know, Mm -hmm. my favorite part of this was the week leading up to it. You were like, Chase, I'm really bummed out. They put the road game on Thursday. I really wanted to see the Western team perform. I would have liked to see Faker, so it's bum- like it's a bummer that it's on Friday. And I'm like, Walter, you got the two best games of the weekend. I guarantee you, you are going to be happier that it worked out this right, way. Right, but Chase, but Chase, mm-hmm. six years ago, when I went to a Western versus Eastern matchup in the semifinals, H2K won a game. So maybe Rogue would have won a game if it had been on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, did H2K win a game? I I do not think that H2... Yeah, that was a 3-0 by Samsung Galaxy, my friend. Um, I remember because I was also there at that series, and I have never heard people boo the person asking for people <laughs> not to take flash photography. Um, that was that was really that was a fucking funeral. That was people bringing out their phones and doing the the light uh, the uh, lighter thing uh, uh, yes. during a slow song. Yes, uh, that was uh, rough. I'm gonna say that was a rough one to watch. But you know what? This is not a podcast in which we talk about League of Legends, and not only because by the time that this comes out, the World Championship will already be over, and we'll know which uh, former high school classmate, Deft or Faker, ended up with the title. No, no, no. We have two games that we are, I want to say, excited to talk about. But Walter, this is, I believe your game is one that you've tried not to talk about for a couple episodes now. So no, it, it's not that I've tried not to talk about it for a couple of episodes. Um, so so I've, been, I've been playing this game. And, you know, yeah, we did. We took a week off. So we have pushed our recording schedule I want to say like two weeks at this point. And, um, and and when we first delayed, when I first went to New York, I'd put about four hours into this game. Um, and, and now here we are, um, uh, you know, about three weeks later. Uh, and I still only have four hours in this game, which I feel ter- about, uh, terrible about, in all honesty, because Weird West had a, a very, very good reception across the board. Um, I would say it, it was a relatively well-rated game, um, you know, a lot of hype kind of in the Twitch streamer community, and just, like, some of the people I follow on Twitter really spoke highly of it, um, and 
I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it all out at the beginning. The gameplay did not mesh for me. I I did not enjoy the gameplay, and it really got in the way of me wanting to try and play it. I I do see um like PC gamer kind of said the same thing was that the the gameplay was um overly complex and kind of difficult to get into and really detracted from everything else. And part of the problem is that the story. I only got four hours into it, so I don't really know how how good and engrossing the story was, and I can only say it didn't do enough to like pull me into it and to want to push me past what I felt was ah I can't even say mediocre like bad gameplay that that I don't enjoy. Yeah, so let's let's kind of talk about. Um... Before we get into the gameplay, because it sounds like that's where the majority of your critique is going to come in, what drew you to this game in the first place? Because, you know, the Weird West genre has been a thing for a while. Is that is that one that you're naturally drawn to? I fucking love Deadlands. I fucking love the Deadlands TTRPG setting. I have not played nearly enough of it. Um, I was introduced to it by, by my good friend, uh, David. Um, and I, I've only played, I want to say, once or twice um, with him and his group of friends. And I, I fucking love it. I love the, like, alternative history, um, you know, uh, kind of horror and supernatural element that, that's embedded into it. Um, I, I really enjoy Wild Wild West as a movie. So <laughs> I know that's, like, it's one of those guilty pleasure things where I'm like, I know this movie is fucking, fucking horrendous, but, like, Come on, it's Will Smith. Wild Wild West. Yippee yippee I just wild can't West. think of Wild Wild West without thinking of the Kevin Smith story about the giant robot spider, uh, which is an incredible interview if you ever get a chance to look it down. Yeah, but like, yes, I immediately was like drawn to the setting and was like, yes, I, I fucking want to play this. This is really interesting. And I just needed to find like the right time, the gap and kind of everything else where I was like, cool, I can put like, you know, 15, 20 hours into this. I'll talk about it on the podcast. Then I'll move on to the next thing. Um, the like, I don't know. It's just so like the concept of like, because like the, the initial concept of like the Wild West just lends itself so well to there being like super supernatural elements to it. Like we talk about ghost towns and like, no, not that they're haunted, but like, Hey, maybe some of them are, but just like abandoned towns in the middle of the West and just all the stories about how people would like go out into the mountains to try and find their fortune or would settle, you know, in these valleys trying to, you know, create farms and communities. And there was a lot of this like kind of Roanoke atmosphere to a, a bunch of these areas. I lived in Colorado for a few years. So I'd been to like Grand Junction. I'd been to like Dodge City. I'd been to some of kind of these locations. I, hell, we lived in Vegas and like I would, I would go and look at the map of Vegas and like had plotted out if I had stayed there longer, like a, a day trip or two where I would have gone around to all of the like lifted locations from Fallout New Vegas. Like the, the Wild West is just a very interesting kind of concept to me that I wanted to play in a lot more. Cause like right now in my life, there's a lot of fucking high fantasy with, with Game of Thrones, uh, House of Dragon just ending, um, and some of the books I've been reading. Um, obviously, Andor's out, Rings of Power. Like, there were all those kind of, like, sci-fi and high fantasy, and there wasn't any property that was very, like, 
Western. So I really, really wanted to give it a shot. And I really fucking wanted to like this game. Yeah. I mean, I do love... Anytime you get to mix, like, Western genres with these, like, fantasy elements or sci-fi elements, you can create some really fun uh, stories. Just because you you have a, a world in the West that's relatively grounded Westerns in terms of the technology available, you have enough that you can have your guns and you can have your kind of uh, maybe faster-paced action moments compared to... Uh, you know, your up-close uh, combat from the, the sword and shield days. Um, but you also have those kinds of more fantastical bits to add a lot of color and depth. But it sounds like, ultimately, it's the gameplay uh, that did this game in for you. What were you expecting going in, and what about it failed to live up to that expectation? So maybe it's that I didn't read the description well or I didn't watch enough content of it because it was it was something I wanted to stay away from because I wanted to experience it for myself. But I thought we were going to, I thought it was going to be more of a um, uh, uh, not Fire Emblem XCOM XCOM S because there's Wastelands the Wasteland series like Wasteland 3 that is kind of this like positioning strategy kind of game and from the fact that you could like recruit companions and you could make allies and these types of things I thought it was just going to be like a smaller version of that and instead what I got was a Divinity 2 RPG, but the combat elements were twin stick shooter. Um, and fuck that. I discovered I don't like that gameplay style. I will probably never play Hotline Miami now because I determined I do not like twin stick shooters. Uh, granted, I played it with mouse and keyboard, so WASD and the mouse. Um, but it felt fucking clunky. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the game itself. I mean, just kind of like that design, twin stick shooters. It feels clunky. It didn't feel rewarding to like hit anything. I just felt like I was constantly just like holding down my shoot button and then reloading or trying to just dodge out of the way while I was reloading or I was taking advantage of uh, an ability that allowed me to like freeze time and was sort of utilizing that to like minimize damage. Um, it sets up, like a lot it's kind of like not procedurally generated but each kind of area that you go to is kind of cut off and you have a very not a small map but basically a very identified like this is what your map is and there's like gridding on it but the gridding doesn't really matter and like there's multiple pathways and everything to move around and there's like bushes and stuff to hide in but like ultimately that really doesn't like you can stealth but it doesn't make that much of an impact when there's so many, like, there's so few opportunities to, like, try Like, you can't go around some of the maps that I played on and, like, stealth kill everyone. It's, like, incredibly difficult to try and, like, bait them. And there were, like, two maps that I was stuck on for probably 10, 15 minutes before I just said, fuck it, I'm gonna run and gun everything because to steal a line from, from Yahtzee Croshaw, it cock up cascaded everything. I'd fuck one little thing up and all of a sudden now I'm fighting the entire map and it's like, well, I guess I can just kind of abuse the system that I have and just kind of like run around and shoot at things and treat it more like it's a hotline Miami too. And that wasn't what I fucking wanted. I didn't want to play, you know, a bro force. I wanted to 
play something that was a bit more strategic and something that like made me feel better about being in like the wild west i didn't just want a fucking shooter yeah i you know it's funny i also struggle a lot with that kind of twin stick format including hotline miami which is a beloved game right like there are tons of people who will point to how smooth that gameplay is and that loop i just find there's so much happening it, it can feel very chaotic in the moment and as someone who tends to prefer turn-based shooters anyway i i just think that top down um hectic balance of the elements that it needs uh can really uh take me out of it and it sounds like you had a similar problem here was there enough in the story to want to push past that because the fact that we had a couple episodes in which this could have been your game and you kept saying oh i want to give it more time i want to give it another shot makes me wonder if there's enough about the presentation of the game from either a character perspective or from the music art style etc that made you want to like it more than you did? No. Um, but I don't know if that's fair for me to say. Because I would say part of the problem for it is I feel like I didn't get very deep into the story. It didn't... I will say immediately, it didn't do anything to, like, fucking grab me. Like, the 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 hook of what you're doing and you're, you start... And I, I found out there's, like, multiple, like, chapters, campaigns to this. And you start out in the, the Bounty Hunter journey, uh, which on Steam is available for a demo. You can play through the entire first, like, kind of arc as a demo on Steam. And I kind of wish I had because I wouldn't have spent the money on the game at that point. Um, but... It didn't do enough. Like, the hook is, oh, your your husband is kidnapped, you know, like, they attack your farm because you're a retired bounty hunter, and they kidnap, you know, the evildoers kidnap your husband, which is, like, nice. I like the subversion of, like, expectations in general. It's, like, cool. I'm, I'm all on board with that. But, like, kidnap your husband, and, like, your goal is to try and find your husband, and there's, like, this supernatural entity that's, like, working with a local gang to, like, kidnap people. And, like, there's some intrigue to that, but it's very shallow and very surface level. And I assume part of that is because this is kind of supposed to be, like, your tutorial um, to learn how to actually play the game. But, like, the first time I played it, I played, like, two hours. And I was like, okay, like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go do something else. And then I hopped on and I was like, oh, I need to play more Weird West. So then I played like 45 minutes to an hour. And then I was like, yeah, okay. Like the gameplay is fucking grading me. Like, all right, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to play TFT. I'm going to play League, like whatever. And then like there was one more like hour long session. And again, it was the same thing, like Cock Up Cascade. And I was just like, all right, like ah, maybe I'm not in the right headspace for this. And like every day that I had off or every day that I like decide like, Oh, I'm going to play a game or watch YouTube or anything else. Like I would have that thought of like, Oh, I should play some weird West. And then instead of clicking on steam, clicking on the game and opening the game, I clicked on literally anything else. And there was never a moment where I was like at work sitting there kind of zoning out for a minute being like, Oh, you know what? Like, Oh, I really want to play weird West. Oh, I really want to focus on weird West. Like I did with like, assassin's creed valhalla or like i did with like tft or like any of these things and that fucking sucks 
because it was something I was really, really looking forward to and I really wanted to play and I really wanted to enjoy. And it's awful that the gameplay is not my jam. It's not my cup of tea. And I feel like if it was if it was more in line with kind of what I wanted, if it was more of a Divinity 2 or an XCOM type style of thing, I probably would have pushed through it and I probably would have gotten deeper into the story and maybe there's where the hook that really like drags you into this thing is. Um, but the gameplay, it sucks. It's not my thing. I didn't want to play it anymore. And I think that ultimately is what does in any type of game or movie or video or anything. It's the the Andy, you know, throwing Woody to the side because he has buzz. I don't want to play with you anymore. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I think the luckily uh, Woody had a better ending here than I think Weird West will have for you. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, some genres just don't click with you, right? There's a reason I don't play FPS titles and I will never play uh, one of those for the the podcast. Uh, as my sister once said, I have the reflexes of a dead cow. It doesn't go well for me. Give me something tactical. Give me something turn-based. I will do well with that. Uh, and the game that I'll be talking about in two weeks with a special guest who will be joining the show uh, very much is like all of the things that I love about a game. So, you know, sometimes you just find a genre and it just doesn't click with you. It's not the way your brain thinks. It's not the way... Uh, that you like engaging with uh, with a game. And there's not much that it can do about that. There's a core problem there that is going to be impossible to overcome. And part of, you know, well, the fun part of doing a series like Steam Cleaners is that by having to do a new game every couple of weeks, we're kind of forcing ourselves to try new things, which means you learned something about your gaming habits, which if nothing else, that can sometimes be worth the time. Um, is there anything... I, I mean, I think it's obvious that you don't recommend this game uh, from a personal perspective. See, I can't say that. I can't say I don't recommend it because there's the caveat of... Because it's not like... It's not the genre. It's not like, oh, you don't like Westerns or, or Weird West or you don't like R, you know, RPGs or anything. Like, it is literally the gameplay. I think that is the only thing that is my barrier to entry is that this gameplay is so not in line with anything that I enjoy that I, I have to give it an incomplete because if you if you play Twin Sticks and you like playing Twin Sticks and you liked playing Hotline Miami or, or, or anything like that, like, boom, you'll like this game. Like, you, you probably will like this game and I hope you get super deep into it and you can tell me like, hey, if you get to hour six you really get into the story and by then you kind of have gotten into like the gameplay loop and everything. Um, I'll, like I'll compare it to something Hades at the beginning. I wasn't like the biggest fan of Hades's gameplay, but the difference is that there was a, there was a hook. There was something that drew me in right at the beginning, not just like the setting because Greek mythology, like that's a really fucking cool setting. I kind of want to play something in Greek mythology, similar to I want to play something in Weird West, but there was a hook that just like kept drawing me in and drawing me in and sucking me in. And then finally the gameplay stopped getting in the way of what I was really enjoying because, hey, I don't really like difficult games and kind of like Hades' entire thing is that it's kind of hard and you, it's a roguelike and you have to like get through it and blah, 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 blah. But this like, even when I beat a map that I like struggled on, I didn't feel accomplished for it. I just felt like I 
went and hid in a corner and shot some people and then like ran around another corner and then shot some more people and then like ran around another corner and then like shot some more people like this wasn't a like magnificent seven style moment where it was like tight gunplay and thinking really tactically and being like okay i can be behind this rock and then i'll go to this rock and then i'll i got a buddy that's over there that'll get him from behind like no it literally just felt like not even bullet hell because there weren't that many bullets flying at once but like that kind of style of just like ah run around and shoot things and hope you don't die and i didn't like it that's fair. That's very fair. So incomplete. If you like Twin Sticks, you'll probably like this. If not, or if you've never played a Twin Stick, like, I don't know. Like, hey, maybe give it a try. If you don't like Twin Sticks, don't don't play this game. Or, like I said, there's a demo available on Steam. Like, go play the demo first. You know, don't spend the money. Just play the demo. If you like it, great. Please keep playing it because I the genre is awesome and we don't have enough, like, weird West-style gameplay or even, like, Western-style gameplay. Um... But if you don't like it, don't buy it. Don't spend the money on it. But Chase. But Chase. Mm-hmm. You played a fucking card game this week. I sure did. Well, <laughs> sure. I, I have been playing Marvel Snap. Um, it is now out of closed beta, uh, which means that you can play it either on Steam or on your phone or your iPad or whatever other mobile device i'm I'm pretty sure they'll get it on apple watch any day now um and i have a lot of complicated feelings about it honestly uh, th- i guess I, I should start with the most essential thing it's fun it's a fun game i've been playing too much of it over the last 48 to uh 48 hours uh, i would say since i i first logged in uh i have already logged in a, a dozen or two hours into it uh, through across my multiple devices. It's a thing I can play before I go to bed. It's a thing that I can play uh, during a, a break whenever I'm just trying to, to make myself a cup of tea. It is so damn fast that it is super easy to just jump right into, jump right back out of. Uh, and it has a system that really encourages you to keep playing all of the time throughout the day which is part of the rub here. This is going to be the game I probably am the most conflicted in whether I can recommend this or not. Uh, Because I'm going to say a lot of very nice things about this game, and then I'm going to say a lot of reasons that you probably shouldn't play it anyway. Uh, And that's the, the up and down of a game like Marvel Snap being what it is and having the kind of uh, payment model that it has opted into. So I guess to start, I should probably explain what makes Marvel Snap different than all the other card games that are out there. Um, Besides it being licensed Marvel characters? Yeah, the licensed Marvel characters is certainly a big part of it. Um, and from that licensed characters, they they've had a very interesting uh, upgrade system. You don't make your heroes stronger, but you do make the cards more artistically interesting as you level them up with the credits that you get. So if you make them an uncommon rarity, they start breaking out of the frame of the card itself. Uh, If you get to rare, it starts becoming 3D and you can kind of 
move the background around and it feels more real. You can unlock animations. You can get the text and the border to have animations. So you can really show off the cards that you have made the most use out of because at the end of each round, you get uh, some enhancers uh, that are randomly chosen among all of the cards in your deck. Hold on to the, put put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Um, so the cards are dynamic. The art is great. Um, and you can get a uh, variance of every card in this game of multiple different art styles uh, that ends up becoming a big uh, part of the appeal. Like I'm using the uh, pixel version of uh, Ant-Man um, because I really like the way that that Ant-Man is, is done and the effect that uh, it has. Um, but there are also, you know, alternate uh, art styles uh, based on various versions of the character throughout the comics history, old school, new school. Uh, there's something for everybody should you want to engage in the uh, pay model that this game has. Um, put a pin in that. But the game itself is very different from most traditional card games. You know, when you think about card games, especially digital card games, think about Hearthstone or Legends of Runeterra uh, or, you know, Shadowverse, if you're a big anime person. You know, games in which you have, uh, a, you know, a mana resource that grows over time or if you're playing Magic the Gathering that you build out with your own cards over time. You play those cards to try to bring your opponent's health to zero before they do the same for you. This game shares a lot in common with a board game called Smash Up. Smash Up is a very popular game that came out about a decade ago in which you have these locations. Uh, you have multiple different locations that are available to play cards on. And in Smash Up, the goal was to hit a certain point threshold with the cards that you have playing a, a unit and a spell uh, over the course of each turn that would work a little bit differently based on the factions that you picked. Uh, Marvel Snap, it has the same three location style, but you only get six turns. And every turn you get slightly more energy than you had the turn before, and your goal is to win two of those three locations. Whoever gets two of them ends up getting the match, uh, and if there is a tie, uh, where you each get one and maybe one location is tied, whoever has the most points across all three locations ends up winning the match. So there's this really interesting dynamic angle to the game in that, uh, you know, you have to play stuff early because your resources are limited and you don't get to bank mana over time. So you want to make sure that you're playing things to give you early advantages, but you can only play up to four cards on a location. So if you play too many of your smaller cost cards, then your opponent can swoop in and play their big thing, and suddenly they're winning the location that you invested all these resources into. But you also have cards that'll give you bonuses if you play them on a location that your opponent's playing cards in. So you have to kind of look at the locations, each of which has their own ability, by the way, that alters the way the game is played. Uh, like, for example, giving power to uh, additional power to every creature that's there, either at the end of the turn or as a passive thing, or making it so that any card you play gets bounced back immediately back to your hand, things like that. Um, there are some really wild shenanigans, like giving your opponent uh, the cards that you have, or if you are losing at the location, everything that you have just gets deleted. Um, so there are a lot of things you're constantly having to adjust to 
because the game state is never going to be the same between two games that you play because the location combination will always be different. And so you're trying to figure out which locations you can focus on that you think you can get an advantage on and which one you want to give up to your opponent because you don't need to win all three. There's no advantage to winning all three. You just need to win two. And being able to read and figure out which one of those lanes, especially later on in the, the match where you're like about to drop your big bombs, figuring out which one your opponent's going to fight for and which one you think you can take advantage of an opening on because they think it's safe or you, they think it's, it's too far gone to be as valuable, that's where the strategy comes in. So that's a lot I just threw out there, Walter, but uh, hopefully that gives you kind of a, a basic idea. Can you kind of envision that location style and, and kind of more of a, an area of control than some of the card games you've played before? Yeah, so so how is it that you can test each location? Like, how do you win each location area? Like, I know thinking about the dice game in, in Cult of the Lamb, it was that you were hitting a certain point total. I remember in Artifact, that was also you dealt a certain amount of damage to that that base on that side or anything. Like, how exactly do you do you win each location? So to win the location, you have to have more points on it than your opponent does at the end of the round. Uh, every card in your deck, uh, which are all characters from the Marvel Universe, has an energy cost, that's how much you have to pay in order to play it, and a power amount, that's basically how many points that they score once it's down there. So you need to make sure that you have more power than your opponent at two of those three locations. There is no threshold you have to hit. There isn't like a magic number, in which case you secure something. Uh, though some um, uh, locations do have uh, rules where like, for example, you can't play a card there on turn six. So if you didn't win it by turn five, you better have a card that allows you to move things over or to summon something randomly, since summons are not treated like playing things, uh, so that you can get your points in there accordingly. Um, but you're using the power that your units have, the abilities that they have to mess with your opponent or to buff your own things, uh, and trying to get more points at two of those three locations, all of which are randomly determined and different at the beginning of each game. Though... There is one location every day that becomes the signature location that is, I think, 60% likely to show up in a match. So substantially more common than every other uh, location out there. Like when I'm playing right now, uh, there's a location that says that if you play a card, a copy of that card gets added to your opponent's hand. So no one wants to play there early because you're just giving your opponent early game resources. But... At the same time, you you know you can't just give up on a location because if they invest, then suddenly you're behind and you have to win the other two. So when do you make the choice to potentially give your opponent resources so that you can take a hold of it? Very interesting. You can kind of see how every location would alter your play style, um, which is good because your decks are very straightforward. Uh, what if I told you, Walter, that there are only 12 cards in your deck? And that you can only play one copy of a card. I would say it is a very, very simple deck building mechanic then. Yes, it has been incredibly streamlined to be as welcoming to new players as possible. 
I don't know that it necessarily solves the idea that players are ultimately going to go online and find the decks that are the most powerful. Uh, right now, uh, destroy decks, I believe, are, are the ones that are dominating the meta. Um, there are cards that give benefits when they're destroyed, or cards that allow you to resummon them in other places when they're destroyed. And so you can play cards that theoretically have a downside in that they should be destroying your other resources when they hit the table, but you can actually turn that into a strength. Um, I'm personally, I tend to prefer either the ongoing deck, which is basically just cards that give passive bonuses that can stack up over time. Like the Blue Marvel just gives plus one power to all of your uh, units, no matter where they are. Uh, or the On Reveal, which is kind of like your Battle Cry, essentially. Um, though you have to be careful because the turn order will often determine uh, whether you're able to pull something off. Like there's a card, Electra, that destroys a one-cost unit. And if you flip your card first, it doesn't matter if the card that your opponent is playing that turn uh, has that uh, one mana cost. It hasn't been revealed yet, and so it can't be targeted. Um, but if they played an Electra, they can absolutely kill yours. Um, and that is another thing that I, I haven't mentioned but is important. Both players play simultaneously. There is no my turn, your turn. There's turn one, turn two, turn three, and every turn you're playing your things and you are revealing at the same time what the other player did. So you're having to react in real time to the curveballs that your opponent is throwing at you. So at, so you guys are acting on the same turn. So how, like, what limits your ability to then act within a turn? So, for example, locations can, can limit your ability. Uh, Avengers Compound, for instance. On turn five, you have to play, all, any card you're playing from your hand has to be played on the Avengers Compound. If the Avengers Compound is a location where you already put four units, congratulations, you're not playing a card this turn. Um, or you'll have cards, um, what's, a, what's another good location for that? Uh, there, there are locations uh, like, for example, Asgard, where it says that after turn four, whoever's winning there draws two cards. So you almost have a mini game where you have to win that uh, location early so you can get those uh, additional resources. Or something like the Danger Room, where cards played there have a 25% chance to just straight up be destroyed. Um, so you could lose the things that you invested time into. So if they don't give you an immediate bonus, it could be a huge problem. Or hey, what about Ego? If you end up revealing Ego as a location, Ego plays your cards for you from your hand. You lose the ability to control how your hand is played. So you better hope the AI has a good understanding of how your deck works because it's going to do its best from there. Um, so you can see how like each of those right would have some effect on how the game is played that would create enough variety that even though you have a deck with 12 cards, which theoretically should have a lot of consistency, um, the locations provide enough variety that no two games are ever going to play quite the same. Do you think that that then is what adds the complexity to the game? Or I guess, I guess my question is with, with, uh, so it's a pretty straightforward, you're winning two of three areas and you have a 12 card deck. So mm -hmm. it's supposed to be beginner friendly, kind of easy to get into. What is there for 
a Magic the Gathering player who's played these ultra complex decks and games and all these things. Is this supposed to be something that it's a, you know, Pokemon Snap-esque where it's, yeah, you open it up while you're waiting for the bus, while you're, you know, waiting in line for coffee, things like that. But ultimately, if you want a much more complex uh, card game experience, you're going to something like Legends of Ruterra or Magic the Gathering uh, Arena or Hearthstone. Yeah, this is not the game that I would say is the most complex, though I would also argue that it's not uh, without its strategy. Um, For example, Professor X is a five-mana card that only gives three power. That's not a lot of uh, power for a card that you have to play that much energy to play. But what it does is completely lock down a location. Your opponent can no longer play cards on that spot. Uh, It entirely removes it from the game. So if you're winning when you play Professor Exxon, congratulations, you've guaranteed one of the two locations uh, that that you need to win the game. Um, There are cards like Gamora that says that if an opponent played a card here on that turn, you get plus five power. So if you can correctly read what you think your your opponent is going to do and predict their actions, you can absolutely fuck with their plan by uh, getting this huge power boost that puts the card way above what it would be able to do otherwise. You also have cards like Cosmo that just say on-reveal abilities don't happen at this location anymore. So if your opponent's playing a card, a, a deck that has a lot of those, like, when it's revealed, this happens, suddenly their entire game plan gets screwed with. And then there are even, you know, when come to things like... Uh, I believe there's a a four-mana card that I'm forgetting right now uh, that says that you can give uh, six power... Oh, it's five-mana, excuse me, claw, that says that the location to your right gains plus six power as an ongoing effect. So even if you're not investing resources into that right location directly, you can get that significant buff, um, which is great when you're going up against... uh, You know, when you're trying to sneak in a win on a location at the last minute uh, when you would otherwise be unable to play cards there. So there are things like that where it rewards you for being able to predict what your opponent is going to be able to do. And it also rewards you for being able to recognize these synergies, right? Um, Figuring out how these mechanics all bounce off of each other to build a deck that is relevant and is going to be able to compete on ladder does require skill especially um, when you have cards like, let's say, Cloak, that allow you to uh, allow both players to move cards to the location that Cloak was revealed at. So you have to be able to analyze whether you're going to be able to get more value from that than your opponent will. So yeah, I, I would say there is strategy here. I've certainly, there's, there's never been a moment in which I felt like um, it was uh, devoid of strategy um but it's not the kind of it's much more of like a board game in that you are trying to read your opponent and maximize what you are doing rather than a game that is based on the kind of let's say back and forth interaction that um that something like legends of runeterra has or that magic the gathering has uh you can do things that kind of fuck with your opponent but they are predictable um, because this information's usually uh, either location-based, so it's equally available to everyone, or there's a limited enough pool of available cards 
uh, that you are able to um, get a good read on what kind of things your opponent is likely to play based on the type of deck that they're playing. So that being said, with the complexity and that there is some kind of strategy involved, is this going to be an eSport? <laughs> I, I mean, Marvel, I don't think, is necessarily interested in it from an eSports perspective. I, I imagine they're going to do streamer tournaments, right? I can totally see, like, a Twitch Rivals for this. That seems to be very likely. You're, you're going to see... A lot of your favorite Hearthstone streamers are going to be doing videos on Marvel Snap because they're going pretty hard on promoting it from a, a, a sponsorship perspective um, and, and a partnership perspective. Um, and I'm sure, given the way that the game is based to really highlight card art, and given how much comics fans have affection for certain artistic styles and certain ones of a character... I am sure that there is always going to be a reason to draw people in from a financial perspective that's going to be the focus. There's the but. I, There's the but yep. right there. I told you to put a pin in a couple of these mechanics. Um, the problem with this game, and the reason that I'm not sure if I can recommend it, despite how much I'm playing it and how much I am enjoying the uh, combat of it, the pay model sucks. And I've been devastated to see people trying to argue that it is a player-friendly system because it only looks that way because the mechanics of how you actually progress are hidden from you. Um, there isn't a, like a thing of card rarity in this game like a lot of other games do where you can, um, you know, different cards cost more or less to craft because there is no crafting. There is no way to get the card you want outside of unlocking it through a random drop. Or, if you're willing to pay money, buying a variant of the card with real money in order to uh, automatically get it added to your collection. But you'll still need to unlock the main version of the card if you prefer that normal art. So, I hope you really like the variant that you get and you're willing to spend real money on the game. The collection system... Uh, those random card drops, you can't buy packs, and there is no currency with which you immediately unlock plans, uh, packs. The only uh, use for your credits is to upgrade those cards. And I mentioned how cool those card designs are and how the, they grow dynamically over time. Well, if you grow them, you also get collection points, which move you up a constantly accelerating ladder to give you either a mystery card or some boosters for a random card in your collection so that you can upgrade those as well. Uh, or maybe you'll get a whole 25 credits, which is enough to upgrade one common card, which is significantly less than the amount of resources you needed to get enough points to unlock those 25 mystery credits, which really surprisingly stingy on the credit unlock. Um, daily quests are your way that you're going to be able to earn those resources more easily but those quests are also exploitative because they drop the daily quests uh, across three eight-hour intervals so you don't get all of your quests at once you can't just sit down and be like well i'm gonna play marvel snap and, and finish my tasks for the day you need to be coming back every few hours if you're gonna maximize 
your efficiency so you can build out the collection so you can upgrade the cards to try to build up the collection so you can maybe get the card that you want and by the way i hope you're not trying to get any of the fancier cards when you're early on because it restricts you uh in the kinds of cards that you can unlock based on your rank there are pools that are hidden to you. The game does not explain this. There are YouTube videos you can find that explains the levels of bullshit that that whole system has. Um, so the best cards in the game, the ones that you see in the meta, I'm level 45 right now. I've played a, a decent amount, I would argue, uh, enough that I could craft three decks that don't have any overlap with each other. Um, just because of the things I got in my collection. And I haven't seen a single pool three card. I am still unlocking these kind of intermediate cards. And don't get me wrong, I understand that card complexity is a thing, and they're probably trying to like span it out based on how complicated a mechanic is, so that by the time that you are unlocking those fancier cards, you have a good enough understanding of the game that it's going to... Uh, that you're going to be able to use it effectively. But also, I've already invested enough hours that whatever that threshold is, is bullshit. But you know what? If I wanted to buy some credits so I can upgrade my cards, I could get to those higher pools. I could absolutely force my way through money to have a chance to unlock the card that I want. And it would still be a chance because, again, you cannot craft anything. You cannot buy a single unless it's in your shop. And the variants that are put in your shop are randomly chosen. And most of them are for cards that you already have. Just unlocking different versions of them, which, again, need to be upgraded separately. You don't get the credit from those cards that you've upgraded previously artistically, which you would think is a positive because it means you get to re-unlock all of those different tiers of rarity for the card, but it also means that if you want to improve your collection, you better buy some variants because it's the only way you're going to be able to upgrade things in a timely fashion. It is very frustrating that people are like, well, you can't buy packs, so clearly it's not exploitative, right? It's not forcing you to buy the, the only things you can buy with real money are just cosmetic but the in-game e economy is based on the cosmetics that's how you get the cards you need that's how you upgrade to unlock what you're trying to build towards and you do that by purchasing the purely aesthetic features which is so insidious to a certain extent it really bums me out how many people are kind of missing this because it's really hard to ignore if you are familiar enough with the loot box kind of system that's overtaken so many of these games to recognize how much you're being screwed over when you can only unlock one card at a time. You're only doing it after investing hundreds of credits and you only get credits if you're constantly logging in and constantly playing the game in order to maximize your efficiency. It does seem weird that a property like Marvel that's like, hey, people like particular characters, right? Why don't we make it incredibly difficult for them to get the characters that they actually want? Like, that seems very counterintuitive because if, like, as a Marvel guy, I fucking love Spider-Man. Like, so the card I would want to get would be Spider-Man. 
So if you're oh, telling well, me... then just buy the Battle Pass, Walter. You can buy the Battle Pass and get Miles Morales Spider-Man right now. It's right there. You want to drop $10? You can get Spider-Man. But what if I want Peter Parker Spider-Man? Well, you better start unlocking some cards, buddy. You better start grinding out through the game and uh, getting those upgrade points in so you can get the variant that you want. No? <laughs> I mean, look, like the starter cards do include a lot of popular superheroes. Iron Man is just given to you. The Hulk is just given to you. Though the Hulk isn't very good, so you're not going to play it for very long. Um, a lot of the characters that are harder to unlock are also characters that are less overall popular because the game understands that you're going to want to have those super popular cards. And even if you don't have them in your collection, there are enough locations that just spawn random cards or add random cards to your hand that you're going to be able to play things like Magneto and you'll play it and be like, oh, that's really powerful. That has a really fun and interesting ability. I better keep playing the game so I can potentially unlock Magneto. Chase, is this a that's... gotcha game? It might as well be. It Honestly, it might as well be. Um, and it, it's going to say that it's not because look, the purchases are only cosmetic. You keep playing the game, you'll unlock everything you need. It's all tied to the same one progression system. You're just moving up the standings as you uh, unlock more and more things. And the, you know, there are enough battle pass rewards that are for free um, that can help you uh, build up that collection a little bit more as well. Um, the weekly challenges, as you play more daily quests, you get bigger rewards. And so that can help improve some things as well. Like I said, I've played enough that I have a decent collection. It's not meta, but it is meta for the level of collection that I am at. And the game is smart enough to match you up against players of your skill level so that you're never feeling outmatched. But you know, if you're paying attention to how this pay model actually works, you have to know as you're playing that the game is desperately trying to steer you into a very specific behavioral pattern. It wants you playing all the time. It wants you to be invested in the cool artwork uh, so that you want to keep upgrading your character, so that you want to keep unlocking different versions of those characters so you could upgrade those two or have it be the aesthetic that you personally prefer. And there will always be gold for that. There will always be real money you can put down to make that happen. And it doesn't feel as bad as buying random packs, even though ultimately, that's all you're doing. You're unlocking mystery cards. It's a random pack. The pack is just one card. That's... That's the game. And unfortunately, I think it's going to work. I think this game is very popular. I think it's already made a few million dollars from uh, Marvel, if I remember uh, correctly. Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, it made $1.3 million uh, from the Apple Store, more than $2 million in revenue for the first week uh, it has been out. Um, it is technically still in open beta. It is topping the apps charts because people like Marvel heroes, people like quick, fun games, people like streamlined experiences that they can immediately jump into and can get their friends into as well. 
it's going to be very profitable. Oh and shit, I just bought Miles Morales. <laughs> really? I and this is the worst part, Walter. I might. I might get the battle pass because I am very much enjoying the game. And the unlocks that I would get would allow me to get a lot closer to the things that I like. And Spider-Man does look like fun. And look, I spent $60 uh, every four months for Hearthstone expansions for years. I can't count the amount of money I spent on Magic the Gathering cards back when I was trying to build up that physical collection. There are worse things out there, right? It just... It hides it from you. It doesn't want you to know what it's doing. Because it knows if you know, you're not going to be a fan. And that makes it feel worse to me. It makes it feel worse because it means that they can have people going online and saying with a straight face that this is a friendly card game mechanic compared to things like Hearthstone. And that is just not true. It's done differently. But if it is absolutely a pay to unlock all the things you want to unlock. The, the, 60, the $60 every three months is easier to plan around to say yes or no to and to kind of like go about your day. But the microtransactions, the little dollars here and there are ultimately what get you. I can't tell you how much money I've spent on Pokemon Go. I can't tell you that. I have no idea. I could probably go back and look at my Google Play receipts and figure that out. But it's because it's, uh, you know, uh, five bucks this month, uh, ten bucks this month. Oh, I'm going on vacation this month, so I want to make sure I have coins for incubators or, like, whatever. Like, it, it is. It's that stuff where you get something small, right? You get $10 worth of coins and you get little small things in the games and then it just kind of goes from there. That's always what gets you. And that's what gets you spending more money than you initially would have. That's the problem, is that it's not a tangible thing that you're necessarily spending $60 on. It's, well, I'm spending seven of this $10 on this one thing. And, oh, if I, you know, oh, crap, if I, if I put five more dollars on, I can get that other thing. It's, it's the weird numbers. It's, you buy $25 worth of riot points, that get you, like, a skin and a half. So if you want something else, you got to spend more money. It's... It's where the video game industry is nowadays, isn't it, Chase? Yep, sure is. That's the world we live in. And again, you know, Hearthstone and Magic the Gathering's pay models aren't good. Hell, Magic the Gathering just tried to release a set of fake cards that aren't tournament legal for a thousand bucks a pop. So, like, I, well, it's I don't okay. Know, it's a collector thing. Sure, sure. It's yeah. just for collectors. Yeah, I'm collecting uh, printer ink uh, is my answer to that one. Um, and cardboard. But, and cardboard and cardboard. But yeah, so like to get to the heart of this, do I recommend this game? I don't know. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm going to keep playing it. I find myself really enjoying how quickly I can pick up and put down and then move on and, um, and engage with it and the locations, the new things that will be added. It has so many ways to expand in a way that's really fun. And I find this to be way more fun and way more dynamic than Smash Up ever was. Smash Up had huge balance problems. Marvel Snap, at least when you're playing around people with a similar collection level, honestly, pretty fair. It's pretty well balanced. Gotta give them credit for it. And shout out to Ben Brode, because that guy is a really smart card game designer. Um, he tells a story about how players were frustrated 
with the uh, inability to mulligan to get that kind of consistency in their hand. So instead of adding a mulligan feature, they just had added cards with the ability to guarantee that you would draw them at a certain turn. And so people felt like they had that option if that's what they wanted, but most people dropped the card because they would rather play something that had more upside. Brilliant way to design a game. Makes me feel very confident that the game's gonna continue to be designed with care. Um, pay model sucks. I hate encouraging that. I hate how much it is luring people in by pretending to be something it isn't, by hiding the mechanics in ways that are not going to be immediately obvious to people who don't know what they're getting into. And so, I guess, do you have enough disposable income where that's not going to be a concern to you? Are you good at being able to set a budget for a game so that you do not overspend beyond what is reasonable and beyond what you would get genuine enjoyment out of? If those two things are true, hell yeah, Marvel Snap's great. Really fun game. A lot of really talented people on that design team. There's a lot to like. You're the kind of person that can get lured in by, uh, by microtransactions that has issues balancing their time in real life if the game is constantly trying to bring them back so you can get that nice little endorphin boost because you cleared another quest, which means you got another two points and you can make your card a little bit more shiny than it was before. Don't do it. It's a trap. It is a trap that Marvel has specifically laid out because they know that people are going to pay it. Because they know that what they are offering is something that people already have a ton of intrinsic interest in. But on that bummer of a note, I guess that's where the <laughs> podcast ends. Um, hopefully y'all enjoyed it. I'd be very curious uh, to hear what people think about uh, Marvel Snap. I apologize, Walter. I feel like I dominated the, the second half of this episode here. But if people wanted to talk to you about uh, all the twin shooters you won't be playing, uh, where can the nice people at home find you? See, Chase, that's kind of the balance of Steam Cleaners is I take up, you know, sometimes I take up, you know, the first 20 minutes, sometimes it's the first 30 minutes, and then you kind of get the back end of it. And I didn't have a lot to say about Weird West because, unfortunately, twin stick shooters, not my fucking game, not my genre. Go fuck yourself. Um... And you got to talk about a card game that you really, really liked, but is is a, a fucking cheetah of a predator that just... I, I Yeah, I, I joked. I didn't actually buy Miles Morales, but I was going to joke again and be like, you better fucking suggest it because I just spent fucking $20 on this thing, and if it's not good, we're going to have some fucking problems. Uh, but with that being said, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, you can find the podcast at... Rough Drafts Pod. As always, you can find the podcast on its variety of feeds on your favorite uh, podcast network of choice. Obviously, Steam Cleaners, the video game stuff, Final Cut, all the movie stuff, or Rough Drafts if you want a little bit of everything. But Chase, I do want to end the night uh, on something I know you saw on Discord, but I was just so, so happy and proud of it. In TFT, I got a win with, with Namzi the little fat dragon and it made me so happy and i just i wanted to elevate and make everyone happy after listening to you absolutely crucify marvel for predatory uh microtransaction processes so uh, yeah. i got a i got a namzi win cute little dragon I, l I love your fat little butt uh chase where can the good <laughs> folks at home find you uh you can find me and the namzi fan art that i need to go check out now uh at chase wassenaar on twitter 
Uh, follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. We'll be back in two weeks with a very special guest and a game that I uh, can recommend with far fewer reservations. But until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>